This episode is brought to you by Harris Resort SoCal. Nestled against a rolling hillside and just down the road from Palomar Mountain, guests at Harris Resort SoCal can expect gorgeous views, friendly staff, available night and day to encourage everyone to have a great time. When I was there recently, I had a chance to dine at California's first and the nation's largest house kitchen. And it's true, the beef wellington and sticky toffee dessert are great. The restaurant is inspired by the hit TV show and features a menu approved by the Michelin star celebrity chef, Gordon Ramsay himself. Hope to see you all at Harris Resort SoCal in 2024. Big cornerstone for a good private chef is comfort. And so for the most part, you're trying to give comfort and plated fancy looking food doesn't really elicit that. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over. Today I have my good friend Wing Bui back. Uh, he's a private chef here in LA. We've uh, had Wing on uh, two years ago, maybe. I always say this, single-handedly changed the way I've, I've done my interviews because of how much time you take to really think about your responses. Let's start by talking about who are some of the the names that you've uh, you've cooked for recently. My client um, has business meetings, but also personal dinners that he throws at the house um, between executives from you know the the company. But um, he's good friends with Diddy, so Diddy comes over pretty often. He was just over last week. Kim K is a good friend too, so she comes over. Jeff Bezos is a good friend. Larry David's a very good friend, so we see him a lot, and that's always a good time. Joel Silver, who um, like made the Matrix, yeah, um, and Lethal Weapon, he's over a lot, and he's he's also quite a character. Oh, those are more recent ones. Now, how is the cooking for these guests different from like a restaurant cooking situation? It's different in a lot of lot of ways. For one. The restaurant, you know, you have the same menu every day, right? And then they come and they come for you, right? They know what they're getting. And this is kind of the other way around. You are cooking for the occasion and you start from zero every day. So I need to find out who's coming. Since I'm very fortunate that most of my, or their guests who come, I kind of have a good idea about who they are and what they like to eat. I kind of cook for the occasion. Like, is are we celebrating something? Um, is it just, a, you know, a friend evening? You know, they want to come over and just chat. Is this a business dinner? These are all different kinds of food and how it's plated. And these are the things that you need to consider um, as a private chef. You know, when, when I cook for friends of mine and family, I, like, for example, if I do pho, I look at the bottom of the bowl and mm-hmm. see if they slurped up all the, the pho, your yeah. broth. Do you ever look at the plates and see if people leave stuff behind yeah. and how much response you get by, by how they eat? I look at every plate. And then do you ever have misses? Yeah, you have, you, you're you you're bound to. I mean, I mean, at least where I'm at, I cook like five to eight dishes. Like maybe five to nine dishes a day, you know, multiply that with a full time job, like for years. Yeah, I mean, you can't, you're gonna have to miss something. But overall, you know, that's it. You, you know, after a while, you kind of develop an understanding of, I, I know the meal's gonna work. Maybe these things are gonna be like iffy. You can take a risk on these things. Um, Having a full miss on the full meal, I've never had. Uh, and, you know, knock on wood, hopefully that never happens. But certainly dishes sometimes just don't connect. And, you know, it just mostly has to do with preference. Yeah, and does anybody ever comment or say anything when you miss? I'm sure when you when you hit, people yeah. are like, you yeah, know, yeah. raving about it. But what about when you're missing? I guess would never say that at my client's house. Um, they They don't want to disrespect me and in a way disrespect him so they would never say it so i'm lucky about that my client um never it's 
they're so nice. They're just for them like, oh, I'm just you know this that wasn't for me. But they wouldn't they wouldn't even say it. I just know I look at the plate I'm like, oh, they don't like that. I won't do that again. Well, this one time I made tuna salad. My client's uh, wife really likes that, and uh, it's really like a seasoning thing. Like she doesn't like. Uh, there was like a little sweetness from uh, roasted confit tomatoes in there, and it added a sweetness to it that was that she didn't care for. And uh, yeah, she. I think in savoring things, she prefers things on the on the sour end. How do you plate these things? Because I can imagine the taste and and all of the process that goes into uh, delivering a taste is is a thing. But since this is at a house and it's happening several nights a week, what is the plating like? It it again it depends on the situation. If we're having a casual dinner, it's going to be um, family style. It's usually family style. Um, I ra- actually I rarely ever plate. I'll only really plate when it's a business dinner. So that don't allow any uh, awkwardness when it comes to like a new person at the house. Getting their own food off of a thing may give them a little discomfort. So I just put it on the plate for them because they're not really there for the food. They're just they're just eating, and I want to make it as easy for them as possible to eat, so that they can have their meeting and not be worried about the other things. Wow, that's a lot of consideration. I would imagine just everything's plated and mm-hmm. it looks like a fine dining, but that's not the situation, huh? No, and you wouldn't really want that on the day to day. You know, you want to. I think a big cornerstone for a good private chef is comfort. And so for the most part, you're trying to give comfort and plated like fancy looking food doesn't really elicit that. You want to, you know, you want to eat chicken parm and spaghetti should, you know, look like a big thing of chicken parm. And, you know, you tear into that and grab a bit of your spaghetti like that feels much better. Yeah, it feels homely. It feels really homely. Homey, yeah. yeah. Now. You are not just tasked with like cooking, but you're also part of the agency that uh, that uh, sends chefs out here in LA. Mm-hmm. What what kind of stuff or, or style do you look for when you bring on new chefs? Most people that are hired private chefs really want like um, some sort of part time, full time. No, I'm let me let me rephrase that. There's Two kinds of chefs. There's the part-time, full-time chefs, and then there's the event chefs. With part-time, full-time, you what you really are looking for is range, because you don't, you know, as a, a somebody who's getting a chef every day, like you don't want to eat the same thing every day. You need range. You need somebody who can cook Chinese when you feel like it. You need somebody who can cook Italian when you feel like it, and you know can accommodate with diets. Um, so, but the interesting thing is that like for events, most people kind of want to live in the world of Californian, Italian, sometimes Japanese. And that's really like 90% of what's being asked. So that's usually what I'm looking for uh, in terms of, uh, cooking style and you know if they have their own thing if it if they are can be accommodating um that's really um another very important part of it because clients minds change very often and what they look for and what they ask for can kind of change like suddenly at the event right before you need to serve um so you really need to be somebody who can kind of um go with the flow you ever bring on chefs and it's just like the wrong fit and like shit just goes batshit crazy or you get a report back from the client going, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And actually, that's actually happened to me once. <laughs> Can you talk <laughs> about it? Which wasn't a good match. Um, it was, we were both just not meant for each other. Like, no, we were both like both set up for failure. Like, you know, I... Uh, it was a, a like a last minute ask, and um, the clients were very. Um, they're a little rude, you know, and that just doesn't put you in a good mood to cook. Uh, and they're making a lot of changes, and they weren't really giving 
me and my agent like a clear um, uh, ask. In some ways it was, in some ways like you know we weren't really sure what they're what kind of party they're throwing and showed up and you know last minute changes like no onions which you know we were they're asking for a Mediterranean meal and there's kind of onions in most things so that you know that threw us off and, and I sh I should have been ready for it I mean I, I feel like these are all excuses but <laughs> you know and then yeah and then for them I think they just had another chef in mind and they wanted his food and so you know I just I, I wasn't that guy like I didn't I didn't even know what he made so it was uh yeah we were just both in spots we shouldn't have been in <laughs> how, how much of Vietnamese technique do you bring into your world outside of my palate I'd say pretty much zero so Vietnamese cooking has nothing to do with what you do day to day. Yeah, I've done, you know, I've done, uh, I've made pho for like one client, you know, and, but, you know, most of the time I don't, yeah. And, yeah, it's, it's just kind of a, it's not very ex accessible, um, some things could be, and but I think for the most part, well, I like my meals to be themed, um, and it would be difficult to put an entire Vietnamese menu together that's accessible that I'm confident it's gonna work, um, and I'm yeah I don't want to take the risk. What What do you mean by themed? Like I'm gonna do sushi night, or I'm gonna do cheeseburgers or something you know and all the other dishes kind of should work with the whole theme you know i don't really like like when you have dishes that are kind of all over the place i feel like i'm eating at a buffet you know you go and you grab like a cheeseburger and the next thing you're eating like mongolian barbecue and then, you know does your client ever say you know i got this guest coming over tonight um i know that they like this or is it really just carte blanche for you it's pretty carte blanche. It really, my only limitation is um, diet, diet and allergies. And then, but things are never really carte blanche. You kind of have to be a mind reader and figure out what they want. You're trying to please them. Oh, you know, shit. you can't really just do what you want. Some people think they can, but yeah, you really can't. Well, well how do you inform chefs that you're sending out? at the agency how do you let them know because you have experience in mind reading quote unquote but how does the new chefs that you send out understand what what they should make um you know if they're doing an event people tend to be pretty clear about um so you know these are di di different issues for different kinds of chefs the event chefs tend to uh have a clear assignment and then their menu gets sent over and then the client approves, so, you know, usually things are, you know, everybody's on the same page. Um, it's really more of an issue for the full-time, part-time private chefs. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Now, when you are thinking about, um, once again, I want to go back to that, the difference between uh, private chefs and, and, and restaurants, uh, I think about you know, at, at the at the level of the clients that you take care of, why wouldn't they just uh, go get food from high-end restaurants uh, on the day-to-day? -day? Why would they have to kind of like conform to a schedule, uh, you know, and all that while they're so busy? Why do they choose to, to have a private chef? Um, I, it, it's, it's actually more flexible and saves a lot more time. You don't have to do the restaurant. You have to deal with. I mean, the in theory, the fastest way would be getting delivery, because um, going to the restaurant takes a lot of time. Going to the restaurant, you know, waiting to get served, picking, you know, deciding what to eat. It's a very time-consuming thing. But but they normally have assistants, right? I'm just thinking. I, I guess the 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 logistics of it. I I could see if you don't have an assistant, but. If they if these people have assistants and they can have a variety of different restaurants, why would they pick 
a private chef over a variety of restaurants when they have and multiple assistants that can coordinate these foods for them? The biggest thing is having to make decisions. You ever like hop on Uber Eats and you'd like you're just like looking and looking oh, and looking. Shit. Yeah. You know? It's so much easier to have someone else make the decision for you. Right? I know what you like. Let me just make dinner. And then and we call it I call it a day. You save a lot of time. And time is really a lot of what these guys really value. But the a lot. big dogs really what they really want is time. And the other thing is, like, with the talented private chef, they know what your taste preferences are, right? They know that you like a little bit more acid in your food. They know that you like um, having kale for all your salads, you know. So, you know, they're making your dream restaurant can't really beat that they're taking care of a a palate fantasy every day Mm -hmm. your palate and your in your diet fantasy is being taken care of what kind of etiquette what kind of behavior are we thinking about because it's not the same as just you know talking to regular people there's this sort of wall this invisible Mm -hmm. wall between us and them what kind of considerations do you have to think about chefs um, in the hierarchy of home, because there's a lot of help in the home, are at the top or at least not close to the top. So they have a little bit more leeway in conversation. Um, some Most clients I know want to have talk a little bit to their chef. Um, but you need to know like when they want to speak and when they don't want to speak. It's not really... They're not your friend and they... If you, I mean, it's my opinion that you should never be friends with your client. Your main goal, again, is like comfort, right? Outside of these walls, everybody really wants to talk to them. Everybody wants their time. Everybody is really starstruck by them. And so then when they come home, they don't want to feel like they're in the outside world. They want to feel like they're in the inside world. And what does that look like, right? And you kind of want to be that person to facilitate that. If, if I'm working at a, a restaurant, a high-end restaurant, um, and I want to transition over to becoming a private chef, what, what are the steps to that? I mean, what, what, what if you have no connections and you're just sort of floating out there, you're hustling out there in, in the restaurant world, and it's a brutal day, and you know, your yeah. schedule is all wrecked, and you, know, you just have this idea, like, I want to become a private chef. I, I love that lifestyle. I, I love the environment. How do you go about Becoming a private chef if you know nobody. If you're lucky and you live in a big metropolitan like L.A. or New York, um, you go and try to find an agency. Um, if you don't, uh, I mean, it really has to do. You got to go find, like, you need to work for a... a like big restaurant, like a like a fine dining restaurant or something, and maybe there'll be word around mm. that clients, you know, with money are looking for uh, a chef. Um, but you know, and actually, and there's also I think I've actually never done it myself, but um, I think like places like um, there's like job searches and stuff that you can do when people yeah. people post oh we need a private chef yeah. but but the i think the most important thing is your reputation right that sounds like it's you know needs to precede you and people can go looking for you that 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 certainly helps cooking and being a chef is that i think for the most part it's very fair and normally there's a trial period and you know if there are other chefs that are trialing everyone cooks and then usually just pick the best chef, you know. You can have a big reputation, but at the end of the day, you can't cook better than the other guy. And you're, and this assuming everybody's personalities even. If you can't cook better than the other guy, then um, or or girl, um, then um, you know, then you don't get picked. Yeah. Yeah. Now this idea of chefs being better and worse and 
different scales and different sort of degrees of, of good. Yeah. Is, do you think that's a, a function of our palates, mm. technique? Or what is it that <clears throat> makes somebody a damn good chef? We're talking about chef or private chef? Shit, let's talk about both. Let's talk about private yeah. chefs first. Private chefs is a certainly a, a matching... That's why I think an agency is so important in finding a chef for a client because you need to find the right match. It's not finding finding the best chef. Oh, wow. And I've seen this over and over again where in my mind, the underdog, the like, in theory, the worst cook gets picked over the better cook. And some of it has to do with personality, but, you know, some of it, a lot of it has to do with personality. But the other part of it too is just like this person cooks the kind of food that I want to eat. You know, it's not even sure the other person's m much more talented and can work in all these other places, but they're not the cooking the kind of food I want to eat. So it doesn't really, it doesn't matter, right? Um, and and then in the outside of the private chef world, what makes a better chef and a well, what makes a better chef? Um, on a, on a technical level, um, you know, it's how, you know, how skillful are you and how good is your time? And this is being a cook, you know, you know, how's your, <clears throat> how's your timing and how's your palate? Um, and you know, for some places, how, how nice do you, how nice do you plate food is also important. Um, and then, you know, that a lot of that you learn as a young cook, how to do those things. Those are like the fundamentals and, and eventually you become, you know, maybe you decide to go out on your own and you want to cook your own food. And some cooks are very, very, very talented, like killers under somebody else's watch. And then they go and do their own thing, and they just cannot find their own voice. You know, they're just meant to be a person who, you know, works under another chef. You know, we're all just different kinds of people. That is the most depressing shit I've ever heard. I, I don't know if it's depressed. I mean, I think we... Uh, I think a society maybe expects everybody to be the top and to be the leader and stuff, but, you know, it's important to have people who follow and it's not a bad thing, you know? And I think even in the chef world, we kind of expect t talented cooks to end up being chefs, but, you know, you, it, it's okay to be a chef de cuisine, to be underneath a, a head chef who tells you, like, this is the vision, you know, and cook the food in this world, and I create the world for you, and follow these recipes. <clears throat> Excuse me. And you can do it really well, and, you know, then do it. Because I've seen a lot of chefs who should stay there and try to go on their own and really fall flat on their face. Mm. I mean, you got to give it a shot, but... Um, Man, that that's so analogous to a lot of the kind of ambitions that we as human beings have in the world, because... Yeah. Sometimes we might be really talented at what we do, but mm. we just can't get our shit together to perform at a maybe a leadership position or be thrusted in, mm. in, in the spotlight for the skills that we have for, for many different reasons. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a different... Um, it's a completely different skill... Um, that you need to hone, and I'm still on the fence of whether or not, if it's possible, if you don't have it, can you go get it? Um, yeah, I want to talk about that. Yeah. yeah. You know, as a cook, you know, you're, and, and really any, any craft, you know, any, any craft that you are pursuing, whether it's filmmaking or painting, you know, early in your career, you're learning the fundamentals and a lot of what you're doing is copying and that's really what you're getting trained to do. So it's very easy to forget um, that it's, it's very easy to 
not ask remember who you are along the way and you need to continue you know as a as a creative to you know as you learn your skills to to know that you have a preference that there's not such thing as a, a a right or wrong way to do everything that at the end of the day like um you know if you really want to express yourself you need to know who you are and how you want to do things and um you know if you don't have that then you know by the, by the time you want to express yourself you are are just like a vessel for other people's ideas and yeah do you think that there's a range in human beings taste buds what they can actually feel what they can they can ingest in sort of the different flavors do you feel like there's a range or do you think everybody's the same there's a range your 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 palate is a your like a as different as like everybody's fingerprint yeah so there is some people who are just not cut out to be foodies or chefs because if you have a limited amount of taste buds then you're really shut out of that game mm. e- yeah, that requires like if you want to do it on a professional level, um you need to have a really precise um palate to understand what's hap- what you're eating yeah. in order for you to replicate it. Um and but you know, if you're cooking for yourself in terms of um in terms of uh, like acidity and sweetness, nobody. I mean, it, you you know exactly how much you like. Like you can. I know you really really love acid. You know exactly how much lemon you want, and it's a fuck ton of lemon, right? <laughs> and it's been really difficult for a restaurant to know that about you. Yeah, you know so. I mean that's why I really like Asian food, because and I think uh, and a big success of Asian food is the ability to tailor it, uh, your bites. You always get some sort of sauce, um, so you can adjust to how you like. You don't you subconsciously kind of make perfect bites for yourself, and they change throughout your meal. In your first one, you're putting. Uh, you're putting a little bit of sauce on, you know, when you're making, you're eating like, a, uh, like, like a, like a, I don't know, what's a good example? Let's say you're eating bun sale, you know, Vietnamese crepe, you know, and on your first bite, you put some herbs in it and you realize that, you know, you really like the herbs. So maybe your second bite, you're like loading it up on the herbs and then, uh, and then you start getting full. So you're putting less, um, of the bun sale in your bites and stuff, and you may be putting more sauce in, and and so you maximizing pleasure, you know, bite to bite, you know, and I think that's, um, you know, whereas a lot of um, Western food, it's the same bite most of the time. You're not really making many adjustments. This episode is brought to you by Somkai Distillery, my only go-to gin company, established in 2018. Somkai Distillery is Vietnam's first gin distillery founded by Daniel Nguyen, a Vietnamese American from Southern California. No matter how many people I have at my parties, we are always pouring Somkai gin. Somkai gin is handcrafted in small batches and prioritizes using botanicals and ingredients that are native and heirloom to Vietnam. The result is a product uniquely Vietnamese in taste and aroma. Somkai is now growing to include rice wine and traditional Vietnamese herbal liqueurs similar to Amaro. Somkai prides itself in Vietnam from the farmers who grow the fruits and herbs to the artists behind the artwork and design. Somkai is a community effort of people who are proud to be Vietnamese and collectively embody the spirit of Vietnam. So interesting. Yeah. I understand that you are creating uh a dinner event um very soon uh you're testing and you're figuring out uh the direction of this uh event can you tell me a little bit about it i've been working a lot 
as a private chef the last few years, and I felt really burnt out. And I, I kind of knew, but I didn't really want to accept it. But it was like really challenging for me to want to cook uh, when I, outside of work. Um, and you know, I finally got a little bit of space to myself, and it all kind of came back very quickly. Um, and I asked myself, like, like what what do I want to cook, and how do I kind of differentiate myself from all the other chefs? And I feel like a lot of chefs right now are, are going in a few different directions. Some of them are going the really chefy end, and they're going with a lot of technique, and they're being cutting edge. Then there's chefs that are going really, they're going to their roots, and they're doing food from their heritage. And then there's, you know, chefs that are just copying, copy-paste their, the restaurants that they worked at before, and that's fine too. And then, you know, um, and then a lot of in-between. Um, and, and, and these are, I mean, I did the, the traditional route and I made homestyle Vietnamese food for a while and, well, not a while, actually only for a few months and, and that felt it really good. Um, and so I really wanted to do something new this time. And one of the things I really, really, the kinds of dining I really love are, um, I don't even have a genre for it, but it would include restaurants like the American Steakhouse, uh, the Parisian Bistro, um, like these dimly lit New York restaurants. They have them in London too. Uh, a place like Horses. Um, Horses here in LA. Yeah. And they're very romantic places for me. You know. I think, but I, I think of all the the things that you just mentioned, it's a it's a lot of red meat and potatoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I love these places so much. I lo- I go to them, and I have so much respect for them. It's the kind of place that really makes me like, you know, some places you go to, and before you start eating, you're pretty fucking happy. We go to dim sum. You see cars rolling around, you're good to go. Yeah. You don't, the food gets there, it can, it just needs to be good enough. I'm going to have a good time if I'm with the right people. If I'm sitting at a plastic stool in Vietnam, I don't even know what's coming out of the pot that the lady's going to serve me. I'm already happy, right? I feel that way about these places. I sit in the restaurant, I sit down, and I just lean back and I'm like, this is, this, I'm, I'm good. I'm really happy. So these dinner parties, I've been thinking like, you know, dining is so much more than food. There's the extremes of diners right now that you're really seeing. There's the foodies who over-index on the food. They care too much. They, they're they just like criticizing every little aspect of it and they kind of lose the big picture. Then there's the other end of the, you know, and there's actually stereotypical LA people who just care about the vibes, right? It's just like, how does this look? as a backdrop of my life. To me, dining reality is the, the, the dining's about everything. It's about the place, it's about the people, and it's about the food. And it all works together harmoniously to produce the feeling of the dining. Um, so I'm trying to create a space that does those th- three things as well as I can. Um, and so I've kind of retrofitted my um, place uh, into like a restaurant, and I'm serving. As of right now, the rest the menu looks like an American steakhouse, and interesting thing about the American steakhouse is a lot of them have a lot of French and Italian influences. You get tartare, yeah. You got pasta. It's not like American, right? Peter Luger's is a, the most American version. Yeah. But, you know, places like Musso and Frank's, which is a good example of the food's fine. It's not the greatest steak in the world. But that place is fucking great. It's like an old... You just know that all these, like, Hollywood mm-hmm. deals are made in there. You know, I can imagine... Like, Sinatra used to have a seat there. You, like, 
I am. I imagine like in a, a, one of these booths, like somebody closed the deal on Jurassic Park. You know what I mean? It's like I have this fucking great idea for this movie. Like, God, you can you can feel the fucking history in that place, and the servers are amazing, and it's just a good time, right? And I really, I hold all of these feelings that I have about these places that I love, and I'm trying to resynthesize it into my place. So now there's a component that's very clear. Um, if the food is situated, the backdrop situated because of how you've designed your own place, you know what the menu is inside and out. But the the real big kicker is who you invite. Because how many seats are there? There's eight seats, right? That is the hardest. That's part. the hardest part That's because the hardest part. you're you're curating not just what goes in people's mouths, but what people are seeing yeah. and what people are listening to at the dinner table. Do you come up with themes for the night? Do you? How do you kick off conversation? Like, what? Yeah. What does this entail? In, in I'm trying to figure that out right now because actually, that's the part I just realized um, that I can't just let anybody in. Um, and it's not about elitism. It's about curating the guest experience, right? Um, and. One bad guess can ruin the night for everybody. Is it? I love Chris Rock's lines like, uh, you know, a hot dog with an interesting person, great meal. Fine dining experience with a fucking annoying person, a fucking horrendous meal, right? That's such a good point. Yeah. Wow. So, wow. Um, you know, it's so, just, so this is not something that you're going to find on Eventbrite. No, and then I'm still trying to figure that part out right now. Yeah, because it sounds like the curation yeah. of it yeah. is such a... Do you, do you remember that one... It was several years ago in here in LA, they would have this like secret location. I can't remember if it was called Wolf Den or um, something Wolf. I think I know you're talking about. And, mm. and it was like... Wolf's uh, Mouth. Wolf's Mouth. Yeah, Wolf's Mouth. And it was like 12 people, uh-huh. um, but random people would show up and yeah. you'd have this like fantastic experience with just strangers. But this is something different that you're doing because you are the artist curating the people at the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. You know, a big part of my goals for this isn't just like, hey, come here and like, you know, watch my greatness. It's not about that. I really, really want to get to know the people who come to my dinners. It's really my excuse to get people who I really admire from afar in the room so I can get to know them. Um, and, you know, I'm just, I would like to give them the best time I can give them. And, and, and f- how do I facilitate? the right kind of conversations. I hope that I can invite people that would help, that I think sh- should know each other. Like, oh, I think you two can really... Be- so are these, do they have, the, your guests are paying? Or are they... Yes, yeah, eventually. Yeah, I, I can't do this. I can't fund this. <laughs> I would like to. Uh, <laughs> but I can't, yeah. Um, yeah, they'll pay. Uh, it's going to be a... a uh, as of right now... It's um, donation based um, because I'm kind of I'm still workshopping, um, but very soon uh, it will be. Yeah, I have an idea how I can open it to the public, but as of right now, it's pretty closed. And and will you have the same set menu at every dinner, or are you changing it up? Because I understand uh, an American steakhouse dinner, French Parisian, New York uh, steakhouse, it has a sort of set vibe set you know menu but are you switching this up or are you keeping it the same um i'm helping you uh, develop uh, your theme here as a as as somebody who likes uh always like trying new things and and what I would really love is to have like a full restaurant menu so they can kind of pick, but there's no, I don't have time for that. Uh, there's so many dishes that I would really, really love to include. So I think at some point something's going to get switched out. Right now I really like where the menu's at, and so it's probably going to stay where it is. And, and you've decidedly uh, made it your intention not to cook Vietnamese food. Mm-hmm. 
But why? Um, because I love this food right now. Mm. Like it speaks to me the most, and I don't want to cook food that I feel like I'm being expected to cook. Um, not maybe expected is a strong word, but I think people want to see that from me, and it's just not. I can't give. I'm my whole heart's not going to be in it. Like this is not really what I want to do right now. It was a while ago, and it may be in the future, but right now, like my passions and and this and i think if you want my best foot this is you know this is it you know there's an arc here for me the thought of you know us coming to the united states in the early days uh you know in the context of wanting to be more mainstream more be being in the u.s mainstream we would want to think of like dishes that we can really make that you know, if you took the face away, then you know that that was done by an American chef and at that high level. And then we go through this period of an arc where we're like, oh, we, we you know, on a general speaking uh, terms where it's like, oh, because you went through uh, Ungum, right? Yeah. Uh, going back to the roots, making Vietnamese food. And it's just like the beauty of seeing where this lands today is like, fuck all that. I want to do what I want to do. I just yeah. happen to like this format. I like this yeah. way of, of of seeing food. And there's that, what Viet Thanh Nguyen always says, there's a plenitude of stories that we can tell. Mm-hmm. And being um, in this space right now where you're like, I want to do American Steakhouse uh, type fair, it, it's really a plenitude. It's an opportunity to say, you know, this is what I like right now. And I can, I can voice it without any color, any cultural color. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, arriving at a very cultural a cool cultural point in our history i think i'm i'm gonna allow myself to i'm creating a um a like a a fictional world of my like uh food and i think for me as a creative i only allow myself to live in that space and it may end up that i'm making non-traditional steakhouse dishes which i am actually right now um but and so i think there is a it's still a filter but it's a filter of me right yeah like i'm not i'm not really copying pasting um you know Muso and franks this is like my version of it and I'm trying to do the best I can. You know, I I um I I don't want to make a um a hard left turn here, but I'm going to make a hard left right here. Do it. When we come over to your place, mm-hmm. we see a lot of guitars. Mm-hmm. We see that you are a musician, and I've had the privilege to to hear you play. <coughs> Excuse me, I've heard had. I've heard you play many times and you're very good at it. Will you be bringing that element into any of your dinners? It is something I'm a little shy about. And I've been thinking about that too. And I think if people ask me to do it, then maybe I, you know, maybe, I mean, maybe I've had enough drinks on me and we just finished dinner and, you know, we're hanging out and somebody asked me to do it. Maybe, maybe. Because I happen to know uh, somebody that um, is also a singer who's really good. She's in New York right now, but uh, that would be a fucking show if you had your friend in New York and you uh, perform at, at one of these dinner events. That would, you know, are you open to th- something like that? To do dinner and a show? <laughs> um, mm. And and I ask from a very selfish my, <clears throat> place. My 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 reflex is I think if I put on, like if I were to say I'm putting on a show, I don't think it really fits with mm. the with the um, the 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 space. Um, I think after dinner, what I'm noticing is that some people stay, and it's a very like okay, you know, yeah. we just had dinner together, and it's a whole thing, and now we can kind of like really connect and i feel like maybe something very intimate yeah yeah and that makes spur of the moment really makes sense for it yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah and so when are you kicking all this off when is it 
starting when will it start to get regular it's it feels i've already the next one scheduled and then the one after that um is in the works um but i'm gonna try to make it as regular as i can yeah yeah what is happening on the food scene here in the u.s as it relates to vietnamese food what have you seen uh new york l.a uh san fran chicago what what are you seeing is there anything new is there anything we should be uh, aware about a portland restaurant called burlu i think i'm pronouncing that right um the head chef's vietnamese and he's doing fine dining vietnamese food and you just won james beard pacific northwest which is a big win um so that's our, Wait, what's his name i don't know his i don't know his name Young? Is he a young cat? Yeah, probably. Did, about, maybe about my age. Did he get the James Beard from like a cart? There, you know, there's carts in Portland, right? And there's a oh, new, no, it's not a cart. It's a fine dining restaurant. Yeah, yeah. He, he, that's where he's at right now. But was it? Did he come from the cart? Uh, I, I, I don't actually. I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, if it it if he did, it was a new idea because I don't think this idea would. Yeah. What what other what other new things are happening? Because uh, I know you go to New York quite a bit. Uh, yeah. Is there any other new restaurants in, in New York, LA? That uh... yeah. Um. There's this place called Mum. It's a it's a pop up. Yeah, it's a pop up. They're open like four days a week. Um and I've heard some about odd this. hours. Yeah. Um. It's a. Uh, it was a former sous chef at D&D in New York. He's a white guy. I think he's French. Um, and when he was working at D&D, he was running to Vietnam to do research and met his wife there, who's Vietnamese. And he came back, left D&D, and they're doing this pop-up now. And it's some of the best Vietnamese food that I've ever had, period. Actually, it I it's... How I would describe it is the Vietnamese food you wish you had. Like, if you went to Vietnam and you had this food, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's it. Like, it's such high, like, it's just made so well. You know, it's got the spirit of Vietnamese food in it, but it's just executed at the, you know. And yeah, they, he, I was just blown away when I went. I was very, very, very impressed. Um, so that's my pick right now in the country. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the one. That is the most random shit. Yeah. A place called Mum. Yeah. And do they just stick to Mum? Because I I've no, heard... they don't make they don't. I mean, there's not Mum in everything. I think I think that's just a name. But they do. I, she may be a northerner. I see a lot of northern dishes at that place. Um, but yeah, I mean, their yeah, their food's just, just excellent. And and I've heard uh, somebody recently say to me uh, about mum about uh, like a fifty dollar uh, tofu sort of uh, a dish there, and they were like, "How can that be? Could, how could you charge so much for like? It's like three bucks in Vietnam, and you come here, and it's like fifty bucks for that." This is ridiculous to compare those two, but for one i think their prices are very fair if they're talking about the, the dish bum dao, that comes yeah, bum dao, with, that's it it's 50 dollars for like two people you know okay. it's not 50 dollars for like one dish and they're importing tofu from vietnam like they're it's a very serious you know it's very time consuming anybody who's made Vietnamese food knows it's very time I'm so you, glad we're talking about this if yeah. you do it right that's why I don't it's another part why I don't do it it's like so much work I don't want it's not worth the money um, yeah it's exactly that this boom dao yeah I yeah. can't remember who just told me recently but they were complaining about that I'm like I gotta talk to you about this because yeah. it's a I, great and I think it's a new dish it's like a modern dish it's like, I think the northerners came with what, it what is it um, so they take um, boom uh, and after they cook it, they um, they put it in a pan and let it cool. So all the starch um, has um, sticks all the noodles together, and so you have a block of noodles, and they cut it up. So that's kind of that's oh. your that's your starch component. There's normally you know in, in Asian food, there's normally a bland starch component. This is your bland starch, right? And you and everything else has a lot of flavor in it. Then there's fried tofu. Then there's I think they had um, uh, yoi wiek. Blood sausage, 
very good um and then a bunch of other things right and then herbs and stuff and you kind of again tailor your bites and the um dipping sauce is um i always mix them up i think it's it's like mum rook or mum mum some sort of mum um something yeah. yeah one of those and then it's with lime and you stir together and once you stir there's a chemical reaction that happens and it starts to foam it's that's a very very fun experience you know and then you know then you start eating and it's great it comes out in a big um bamboo like platter you're sitting on plastic stools that they also brought from vietnam um and it's you know this is great man they got it right they nailed the feeling they nailed the feeling they got the food dialed in. They got the space dialed in. And then, you know, hopefully you come with good company. It's a great meal. And why is that not happening all over the country, all over the U.S.? Like, yeah. L.A. is very deserving of something like that. Why is that not happening? It sounds you know, relatively simple to me, but yeah. I'm sure it's, it's... I mean, I think, I mean, even, I think a restaurant that good to me is hard to find in any genre um why they're not more Vietnamese restaurants like you know uh, um i don't actually i don't really i don't have a good answer for that and i think about that a lot my best guess is that we <laughs> maybe we Maybe we like money too much or something. <laughs> it's just like a, it's a bad business decision to open a restaurant, you know. And maybe that's part of it. Um, yeah, I, yeah. And, and and to execute something like mum, what it sounds like to me is like it's uh it's one in a million when you hit it like that. Yeah, it's just it's just hard to find. It's a hard rest place to find where, you know, all the right parts of what i think makes a great restaurant hit yeah stuff when thank you so much today it's a lot of fun uh we've been trying to do this for for a long time now for months and you've been traveling a lot so um this is the first time that i've recorded in my studio uh to be on the podcast so um thank you so much for being the guinea pig today <laughs> thanks for having me Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. Special thanks to Brittany Tran, to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast.